This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Let me tell you a little bit about the briefing before we begin. So over the past 50 years, the Department of Defense has pursued a number of joint aircraft programs, the largest, most recent of which is the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter program, of which many of you are probably aware. So joint aircraft programs are thought, at least the conventional wisdom, was that the, they would reduce life cycle costs. And the reason for that is they would eliminate, eliminate duplicative research, development, test and evaluation efforts, and you could realize economies of scale in procurement, in operations, and support. Um, what does the evidence show? You know, the need to accommodate different service requirements from the different services in a single design or common design, it can lead to greater program complexity, increased technical risk, um, and uh, increased weight, uh, and all these drive up costs, drive up complexity. And that's what, what Mark will talk a bit about today, about the findings. Um, so to help uh, Air Force leaders and acquisition decision makers in general, which Congress has won, uh, select an appropriate acquisition strategy for future combat uh, aircraft, this report that Mark and others worked on analyzes the costs and savings of joint aircraft uh, programs. Um, and I want to point out for those of you who follow this, you know that the sixth generation fighter is clearly in the very, very early stages of planning. This is the follow-on either to the JSF or it would be the follow-on to the F-22, not sure which. But that's being looked at right now. So this is an, this is an open and, uh, decision uh, question that, that still remains. So this is an important uh, work that uh, Mark and others have, have done uh, to try and answer the question of whether this should be uh, followed. Um, and if you want me to steal thunder for just a moment, the title of the research brief, which each of you should have a copy of there, reads, the Department of Defense should avoid a joint acquisition approach to the sixth generation fighter. So it doesn't get a lot clearer than, than that. So let me tell you just a moment about Mark, and then I'll turn it over to him. Mark Laurel is a senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation. For over three decades, he's been researching and writing on weapon system acquisition policies, defense industrial base issues, um, international weapon system collaboration, defense, trade, weapons of procurement, uh, weapons procurement, and industrial base policies of allies. Uh, and with that, let me turn it over to Mark. Thanks, Wynn. This briefing, nonetheless, is a a uh, high-level overview of a major research effort that uh, RAND Project Air Force undertook beginning in 2011 that looks at whether or not joint fighter programs save overall life cycle costs, uh, why or why not, and if so, how much. And as Wynn pointed out, given the current uh, controversy coming out of Congress and uh, <clears throat> the, the press regarding the very high costs of the Joint Strike Fighter F-35 and uh, various technical challenges it's facing. Um, it's a fairly timely uh, uh, subject. Okay, joint fighter programs are nothing new. They date back at least to the early 1960s with the uh, TFX F-111 program. Uh, they've been advocated for years, pushed pri primarily by OSD uh, and Congress. Uh, this is an example of four aircraft that were developed uh, jointly, historically, up through the JSF. Now, what do we mean exactly by a joint aircraft? We should get that straight before we continue on. And by joint, we mean an aircraft where all phases of the 
procurement and acquisition process are conducted, uh, including at least two military services or more. Uh, that is, every phase of the acquisition process from the design, the development, production, operations, support, sustainment, and disposal. Now, why are these kinds of projects undertaken? The single most important reason for doing it is to save money, to save overall life cycle costs. And in theory, it's pretty straightforward why these programs save money. Um, it's all based on buying the same or very similar uh, weapon system by two or more services. If you buy the same or similar system, you will be able to pool your RDT&E resources, the two or three services involved, and save considerably there. In the production phase, you can have a longer, uh, a much longer production, common production run because you're buying a similar or the same aircraft or other system and therefore get economies of scale. And in the operations and support and sustainment side, you can use common depots, common spare parts, uh, and so forth, and in theory gain uh, a lot of savings in that area too. So um, in theory, these programs could save substantial amount of money, and not surprisingly, given the current budgetary environment where uh, we, are, we are in a very constrained uh, future budgetary situation, it is not surprising that there is very serious consideration of a future joint strategy for aircraft such as the next generation, sixth gen fighter, and other future major uh, aircraft programs. But what we have found is while there is plenty of theoretical analysis that's been conducted in the past on the theoretical savings from joint fighters, that there's virtually nothing that has been done in the past that's looked at actual program outcomes you know, uh, based on actual cost data. Have these programs really saved money? It seems uh, um, self-evident that they would, but no one's actually looked at the real data. So that's why we undertook this project beginning in 2011. And we had two parts to the project. We looked at both uh, very detailed cost data outcomes and we did a qualitative assessment of actual uh, past historical programs, uh, both pre-JSF, dating back to the early 1960s, and then we did a second part where we did the same thing by drilling down very deeply on the JSF F-35. So the first part of this, we're just going to look at the pre-JSF historical programs. We identified uh, 11 major joint fighter programs dating back to the F-111 in the early 1960s. Now, I'm not going to uh, bore you with uh, going through all these various programs, but I just wanted to make a few really quick points. The first is that historically it's been extremely difficult to pull off a successful joint uh, program, joint fighter program. Out of these 11 programs, only four of them went beyond the very earliest design and proposal stage, and those four are highlighted in uh, yellow. And of those four, two of them, the, uh, the F-4 and the A-7, are not truly joint acquisition programs because they were designed and developed uh, exclusively by the U.S. Navy as a single service program and then later from, as a mandate from the uh, OSD they were uh, uh, procured jointly later during production, but they were developed as single service programs. Of the other two, the, the most famous F-111 program went through about three or four years of joint uh, development, but uh, the Navy became increasingly dissatisfied with the program 
and uh, because of growing weight and cost factors, uh, technological challenges, and finally pulled out of the program before production, went on to develop their own single-service fighter, the F-14, and uh, the, leaving the Air Force with a very compromised design. So, uh, <clears throat> so these have been historically very difficult. Uh, and the other point that comes out of this is that the JSF F-35 um, is unique. It is the only American joint fighter program to ever go into production. It's the only one. So we had, had initially hoped to be able to, to compare historical programs to comparable single service programs, but there are no historical programs uh, that have gone into production. JSF is the first one. So we just, uh, how do you explain the problem and the difficulties historically with, with uh, 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 obtaining cost savings and successful joint programs. We did a, a deep dive down on a variety of the historical programs and tried to look at what happened. Now remember, the savings that accrue from a joint program come from commonality. You, you get savings by buying the same aircraft, by developing the same aircraft, and that's, that's the origin of the savings. But what we found is historically, especially with a Navy and an Air Force uh, partners in the program that the operating environments of a carrier versus a land-based aircraft um, are so different. The doctrine, the mission, the operational styles of the services are so different that their requirements for their aircraft are fundamentally different. <clears throat> and all these programs, these are two programs from the uh, 60s and two programs from the 70s as examples. They started out with a goal of 100% or near 100% commonality because that's where the savings come from. But as time progressed, they morphed into multiple uh, subvariants that were uh, uh, service-specific, uh, optimized for, for each partner program, and that led to less and less commonality. And with less and less commonality, there was less potential for cost savings and more potential for cost growth. So. Just summarizing our quantitative assessment of the historical programs, you can see that at the beginning of development, uh, this is the, a notional example of cost of, a, of an ideal two-service program, and this is our uh, estimate of the notional cost of two separate fighter programs. And you can see in this case at milestone, at the, I'm sorry, at the beginning of development, that uh, a joint fighter should save about 20%. Uh, in RDT&E and procurement. However, joint programs we discovered looking at the data experience much more cost growth because they're more complex, they're more dif difficult, and they, and they morph into multiple variants than single service programs. And as a result, on average, after nine years, after the beginning of development, we found that in the historical cases that the RDT&E for the joint programs uh, plus procurement or production was actually cost more than two uh, single service, equivalent single service programs uh, by about uh, 6%. However, uh, we know that there is a, a degree of uncertainty in the data, so uh, we put an uncertainty ban on there, and what we concluded from this, uh, we don't claim that the joint programs that we proved decisively that they would actually have cost more than two separate single service programs, but what we do think the data 
show very clearly is that there's certainly no evidence that historically joint, joint programs have saved any money compared to single service programs. Okay, so, um, and again, this problem arose from uh, the inability to maintain the commonality because of differing requirements from the different services. Well, let's look at the JSF, the origin of the JSF, and we can see the, J the JSF F35 had this problem in spades. Um, we have to remember that the Joint Strike Fighter F-35 arose from three completely separate single-service programs uh, that were underway prior to JSF. Um, and even though they had basically the same requirements on a high level, when you go down one level, you can see that they actually had quite different requirements. The biggest partner was the Air Force with a program called the Multi-Role Fighter, which was for a single-engine, single-seat, uh, uh, relatively ch uh, inexpensive fighter to be the low end of a high-low mix with the high-end F-22, whereas the Navy wanted a much more sophisticated and complex and larger and heavier and more expensive aircraft. They wanted a two-seat, two-engine, stealthy attack-strike uh, aircraft with uh, much more LO or stealth capability and more uh, avionics. And probably most challenging was uh, the U.S. Marine requirement, which was folded into JSF. The Marines would have had a great challenge developing their requirement, even had it been a single service program, because they wanted to develop the world's first production um, stealthy stovel or short takeoff and uh, uh, vertical landing uh, fighter, and at the same time, the world's first supersonic stovel aircraft. So that would have been a great challenge technologically, even if they had done it uh, on their own with the UK, who they were collaborating with. But that requirement was then folded in uh, uh, with the J JSF for a common naval carrier-based aircraft and a land-based aircraft uh, for uh, the Air Force. So as you can see, that uh, it was a very challenging program indeed. So what effect did this have on cost in the JSF program? Well. It's difficult to do this analysis um, because there is nothing directly comparable that we can compare JSF to. Uh, but what we did is we took the official cost data uh, here from the JSF uh, F-35 program begin from the beginning of development and nine years after the beginning of development, which is when we first did this analysis, that was the, the latest uh, official data we had. And, it, and adjusted it for constant dollars and constant quantities. And then we compared it to um, our estimates of three notional single seat, I'm sorry, single service aircraft uh, that were comparable. And we, we made quite a few uh, assumptions. We obviously can't go through them all today. But what's important to note is that we made very conservative functions. And whenever I, we had a choice, we lean towards favoring JSF to be absolutely fair, and we validated our cost estimates using uh, at least two different completely separate uh, cost estimating methodologies that are uh, uh, generally accepted by the, uh, by the cost estimating uh, field. So what, uh, what's the outcome? Let me show you what we found. Um, this is directly out of the official uh, JSF uh, uh, documentation and reports to Congress of their costs. 
You can see at the beginning of development in 2001, JSF F35 was expected to be a very affordable program for uh, 2,852 fighters for the Navy, Marines, and Air Force. That would uh, cost about $175 billion and $202 for uh, RDT&E and for procurement. Well, then we made an estimate. What would have three separate single-service fighters have been estimated to cost at the beginning of development? Uh, we came up with a, a very conservative estimate favorable to JSF, uh, which shows that it would uh, that JSF, uh, in principle, should have cost about 25 percent less than three single-service fighters because of the RDT&E, the common RDT&E, and the fact that the three single-service fighters would go down separate production lines. So it looks pretty good at the beginning of development. However, if we move to nine years out milestone after, uh, after the beginning of development, we see that the situation has changed. These numbers right here, this is the adjusted actual numbers, uh, official numbers for JSF uh, nine years out after the beginning of development. That's from uh, 2010. And this is our estimate of what three single-service fighters would have cost uh, nine years after development, what the estimate would look like. And what we did, again, we were tried to be very favorable to JSF. Uh, we escalated the three notional single-service fighters by the same cost growth that the F-22, which is a much more complex, higher-risk uh, program uh, at the uh, equivalent points in time. And even using those escalation rates for the F-22, we find that uh, nine years after milestone B or the beginning of development that JSF uh, actually costs uh, about 10 percent more than the three single-service uh, notional fighters. Now, it's important to note that we know, again, there's uncertainties in this data, so we don't claim that at that point the F-35 actually that we've proven that it would have cost more than three single-service fighters. But again, we did a lot of variations on our assumptions, and there is no plausible uh, situation where that we came up with that showed that JSF would have actually saved money compared to three notional single-service fighters. So why is this important? Well, as I said at the very beginning, the main reason, the central reason that OSD and Congress push for joint programs is that uh, it is believed they save a substantial amount of life cycle costs. Now, if they don't, if there's no evidence that they do save any money, well, there's also some aspects of joint programs not directly related to costs that could potentially have a major downside in joint programs. And if we're not saving money, then these issues sort of uh, become very relevant um, and come to the forefront as, as problem, problematic areas. The first is that historically joint programs have led to the need for unwelcome requirements compromises since the services have different needs in operating environments, and that has an effect on overall force structure capability uh, when, when the services are forced to pay for and buy uh, something that's not uh, optimized for their situation. Secondly, the, the need to try to reconcile differing requirements in joint programs leads to greater programmatic complexity and technological difficulty, which 
uh, we think drives the cost growth in joint programs, but also can lead to schedule slippage and technical challenges that would not have uh, arisen in single service uh, development programs. There's also the issue of uh, operational and strategic risk in joint programs, and that arises when you have the same or similar weapon system or platform across multiple services in case there is a design flaw or design issue with that aircraft or an unexpected enemy threat that arises. All the services have exactly or, or, or very similar uh, platforms and it's much more difficult to respond quickly to problems or challenges such as that if you only have one, uh, one weapon system to fall back on. And finally, there's the, the uh, issue of industrial base concerns. When you have a single fighter across the services, uh, as in the case of JSF and other joint programs, that you eliminate other competitors, under contra other contractors from future competitions because they don't develop the skills or uh, experience necessary to compete in the next round. And indeed, this has happened on JSF uh, F-35. Right now, we have one contractor, Lockheed Martin, that's developed uh, um, a fifth-generation fighter. Everybody else left. McDonnell Douglas fell out and was taken over by Boeing. Boeing uh, was eliminated from the competition. So no one else in the U.S. has developed a fifth-generation fighter. So the next time around, when we want to develop the follow-on fighter, the sixth-generation fighter, the only credible contractor is Lockheed as far as developing a fifth-generation fighter. So where's the competition? And without competition, we have less innovation and less chance to control uh, costs. So that's also a major consequence. So with these variety of potentially negative outcomes unrelated to costs, it's very significant if we can find no evidence that joint programs actually save money, which leads us to uh, our bottom-line conclusion First of all, there is no evidence whatsoever that joint fighter programs actually do save money, looking both at the historical programs and at the JSF. And consequently, given those other negative uh, potential outcomes, uh, we strongly urge uh, OSD that unless participants have identical requirements and stable requirements, that they should avoid uh, seeking a joint acquisition strategy for future fighters or other major uh, military aircraft. Uh, that wraps it up. I thank you for your patience and attention. Uh, I'd be happy to um, uh, take any questions you might have or inquiries about uh, the research or our findings. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.